May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Of our guest deacon today, Shirley Johnson is back with us for this Sunday. We also have another um, star member of the congregation who's back uh, today. Elton Clemens is back here with Sandra. Yay. And all of you VBSers that showed up today, we really appreciate you being here, the kids and the parents and the workers. It was really quite a week. We're going to hear more about that shortly. Hmm? Oh, Howard and Janice, they're back. Braden, they're in the back. Yay, I forgot that. Here we go. All right. Very good. Uh, big idea today is come to Jesus. You will never have what you need apart from Christ. Come to Jesus. And there's Danny Thomas. Harvest International, we'll hear from you a little later. Okay, all right. Introductions are now done. We're going to get with the sermon. Come to Jesus. You will never have what you need apart from Christ. And this is a little different because what I'm going to preach on, you didn't hear read. Because... The story of Jairus and the healing of his daughter, sandwiched in between that is the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Remember that lady, that story? So we hear about Jairus, the woman interrupts that situation, and then we finish up with Jairus. But we never read it because they just leave it out of the lectionary. So you never hear about her. Well, today is her day. Here's what you didn't hear. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had, had had a flow of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even the garment, his garment, I shall be made well. And immediately... The hemorrhage ceased. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone, out, gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and you, you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. So that's the story. Jesus comes from the other side of uh, the Sea of Galilee. He left a big crowd. Now he shows up on this side of the lake, and there's another great throng about him. And... Uh, one of the members in the crowd, one of the people there is Jairus. He's a local uh, synagogue leader. He's an elite, one of the rulers. And his little daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, is, is near death, and he begs Jesus to come and heal her. And he says, let's go. I'll, I'll do it. So now they start moving toward Jairus' house, and he's being crushed by this crowd. Progress is interrupted by a woman, the story you just heard. And when she touches his robe, he stops. He stops. 
And this woman has been suffering for a very, very long time from the constant blood loss. This is a uterine condition, and it's not just a normal monthly thing. This is all the time. From the constant blood loss, this poor woman would have been weak and anemic. She would have been pale. She would have had no energy at all. The least effort would have worn her out. She would have been a weak, pathetic creature. The word suffering is the same word that is, con that is translated whip elsewhere. Her disease was like a scourge, constantly beating her down day by day. So this is her, this is her life. This is her existence as she comes to Jesus. Now he stops. Jesus stops. And I can imagine Jairus is upset with the interrupt. My daughter, who's 12 years old, is dying. We're on our way. Now this woman who's been suffering with this thing, you'll find out for 12 years, has got a problem. She can wait a little longer. We got to get moving. But Jesus doesn't do that. He stops. Saturday night of Thanksgiving weekend, the Coconut Grove was packed. Waiters were setting up extra tables to handle the diners. The overflow from the dining room surged down a narrow stairway to the Melody Lounge. This dimly lit basement offered a South Seas ambiance with artificial palm trees, driftwood, rattan, and a ceiling draped in blue satin. The only illumination came from behind the bar, supplemented by low wattage bulbs hidden in the palms. Even this was too bright for one young man, he reached up, unscrewed a bulb, and settled back in his date's arms. Like many others there, he was in uniform. It was 1942. The U.S. had been fighting World War II for nearly a year. Dr. Vincent Senna was having dinner that night in the Grove and was paged because one of his patients had gone into labor. Grumbling, Senna rushed to the hospital in time to deliver the baby and save his life. Because after he left, for still unknown reasons, the Coconut Grove burst into flames and over 490 people died in the smoke and flames. The interruption that ruined his evening also saved his life. Sometimes God interrupts us. Um, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but when I was in Naval Postgraduate School in 79, I fell off a bike and broke my leg. I'm in a body cast for three months. It interrupted my plan for my naval career and in many, many significant ways. I didn't know it at the time, but because of my broken leg, ultimately I became a priest. That's a fact. No broken leg, no Father Don. At the time, I was not a happy camper about the interruption, just like Dr. Senna. But some good things can happen when God interrupts our plans. She spent all her money on doctors. She really had spent all her money on quacks. <clears throat> it was a God thing this morning that Buck Mann was at the 8 o'clock service. So Buck is a OBGY. In fact, he's Kathy's OBGY, member of Christ the King. And we had some fun going back and forth about some of the cures that the doctors had offered this woman. The Talmud, which is a body of Jewish uh, civil and religious laws added to the Old Testament by the Jews, it listed 11 cures for this particular uterine hemorrhage that the lady had. I'm not going to read them all. Some were potions. Some were superstitions. In one place it says, take the gum of Alexandria, the weight of a small silver coin, of alum the same, of crocus the same. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that had an issue of blood. If this does not benefit, 
take of Persian onions, three pints, boil them in wine, give her to drink, and say, Arise from thy flux, means flow. And after this does not cure, and if this does not cure her, set her in a place where two ways meet, and let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand, and let someone come behind and frighten her and say, Arise from thy flux. I'm not sure if that's how they said it, but that sounds good. In another place, it actually recommends that the afflicted woman carry a barley corn, which had been taken from the droppings of a white she-donkey to be cured of the illness. And it goes on and on and on. And it's unbelievable what they had her do. And she's spending money on this. It doesn't work. So she's at the end of her rope. You know, she's, she's just really distraught by the whole thing. She's also ritually unclean because of this situation and condition that she has. She can't associate with anyone, no family, no friends, no temple, no synagogue, no community. She's like a leper. She's not only suffering physically, she's suffering emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. Her life is a mess. Again, she's at the end of her rope. She's desperate, but she refuses to give up. And she steps out in faith, and she touches the cloak of Jesus. And when she does, she's healed instantly. She's healed from this 12 years of suffering. She's healed inside and out, just from the touch of Jesus' robe. I think it's true that you could say that a lot of life's battles nick us at the edges. They're not strong enough to kill us. They just wear us down, like wearing a boot. You know, things that get in our way. We'd rather not have them. Physical, relational, work, financial, whatever it might be. But she wouldn't give up. She reached out in faith and she was healed. And just as this woman did, we need to connect with Jesus. Now, during vacation Bible school, which we had last week, there was a prayer tent in the nursery. And the, the, the godly woman who... who manned the tent, staffed the tent, for all week was Deacon Peg. So what would you say about that experience? All right. Well, it was a tent lined with battery-run lanterns, and the kids would come in, and often they would talk about things. They'd have a, a little leaf they'd write their prayer on, and then it hung on a tree outside the wall. Um, I was pretty torn up all week. I mean, I don't think I'm breaking any conferences, uh, confidence. I'm looking around to see the children are not here. One child prayed his mother would be in jail for 15 years and he would see her when he was 24. One said, my father messes up all the time and goes to jail and I may not see him until he straightens up. And then they identified with the children in Haiti. We had a mission for that to bring for the, they, they saw those kids in need. My heart says we've got to get these kids because Satan is out to get them. With depression, and hopelessness, and uh, let's get to work. That's all I got to say. We just got to keep working at it. But the point is they kept coming to Jesus. They kept going into the tent, and you never had a time when there weren't kids in that tent. No. It was always yeah. full of kids, yep. and I thought that that was a blessing. So Jesus realizes uh, some power has gone out of him. He feels that that has occurred. He wants to know who touched him. And he wants to know who touched him in order to have 
something, somewhat of a relationship with this person. It wasn't just knowledge that he was looking for. And though he asked the questions, the disciples can't believe it. Are you kidding? What are you talking about? All these people are bumping into you all the way, and you want to know who touched you? What are you, crazy? There's a difference between an inadvertent touch and a purposeful one, an inadvertent communication and a purposeful one. So about 10 days ago, I'm driving down 36th Avenue, and I looked, I saw something in the road that looked like a paper bag. It wasn't a paper bag. I don't know what it was. It fell off a truck, and it jammed my tailpipe up into the pan, so it was vibrating beyond belief. I took it to the dealer, and when I picked it up, that's when I called my insurance company. Probably should have done that first, but I didn't. So I called State Farm, or I went over to the State Farm agency, and then they said, well, State Farm will call you. I said, okay. So when State Farm called me, I took the call. It's a purposeful call. I need to take this call, right? It's real. But then there are people that are very concerned about my automobile warranty that keep calling me. Anybody else have one of those things? Just saying. I don't take those calls because I don't care. See, now I always take Kathy. If I was with the President of the United States and my phone went off, on silent. Is your phone on silent? If it was Kathy, I would answer it. I don't care who I'm with, where I am, or what I'm doing, or what's going on. She calls me, I'm taking the call. Nobody else. But if it's her, I'm taking the call. Because that is always a purposeful call for me. So she comes forward, she throws himself at the feet of Jesus, and Luke puts it, Luke puts it this way. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in his presence of all the people uh, why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. So healed of 12 years of disease, doctors, all of that. And she had hoped to remain undetected, but that didn't work. So Jesus wants to let the crowd know that it wasn't his cloak, but her faith that healed her. It was her faith that brought her to that place. Jesus wants to teach the crowd that despite her uncleanness, she is not to be overlooked because his aim is always to heal us. Despite who we are, despite what we think of ourselves, despite what other people might think of us, Jesus always wants us to come to him that we might be healed of an affliction. She's made in the image of God and she deserves respect. One commentator put it this way. I thought this was interesting. It says, dovetailing the stories of two such distant individuals reveals that being male, being ritually pure, holding a high religious uh, office, or being a man of means provides no advantage in approaching Jesus. Being female, impure, dishonored, and destitute are no barrier to receiving help. God always takes the side of those who have been denied rights and privileges, the oppressed and poor. In God's kingdom, the nobodies become somebody. In other words, the only thing that avails with God in Jesus is one's faith, health, health, Wholeness and salvation 
are not extended to just the lucky few who already have so much of everything else. But neither does Jesus set the lowly over against the lofty. Faith enables all, honored and dishonored, clean and unclean, to tap into the merciful power of Jesus that brings both healing and salvation. All are equal before Jesus. And that's true. Um, in Christ, there is no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all equal in the eyes of Jesus. That's an important thing to remember. So Jesus purges our impurity. He touches lepers. He, he casts out demons. He touches dead people. He's never defiled. And he doesn't care what the rules might say. He goes to where the greatest need is and does what he needs to do. So whatever rot we have in ourselves, he can overcome it because his aim is always to heal us. And to do that, we need to tell him the truth. He knows anyway, so we might as well tell him the truth. In the beginning of the service, we say this prayer. This is called the collect for purity. So let's say this together. You've already said it once, but think about what we're talking about as you say this prayer so that when you come again and this prayer goes up, think about it differently. Okay? Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. We say that at the beginning of the service to kind of set the stage. All our cards are on the table. We're not hiding anything. We're coming this day for healing, restoration, and reconciliation with God. Okay? He tells us, he tells her to go in peace. The word for peace is shalom, and it talks about wholeness and well-being, security, friendship, relationship, all the things she hasn't had for 12 years. She's had none of this for 12 years. Think about being in that situation for so long. You have no friends, you have no family, you have no church, you have yourself, and you're sick all the time. That's what she's healed of. He also calls her daughter. It is the only time in the gospel that Jesus calls anyone daughter. This woman, with the issue of blood, 12 years of ritual uncleanness, this is the only one he calls says, go in peace means go into peace and begin a new life. You can learn some lessons from this story, I think. Uh, faith opens the door to the power of God. Okay? Faith. The African impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet and cover a distance of greater than 30 feet. Yet these magnificent creatures can be kept in an enclosure in any zoo with a three-foot wall. The animals will not jump if they cannot see where their feet will fall. Faith is the ability to, to trust that what we cannot see, and with faith we are freed from the flimsy enclosures of life that only fear allows to entrap us. I thought that was interesting. They can jump 10 feet high, they can jump 30 feet, but they can keep them with a three-foot wall because they can't see where their feet are going to land. Okay? They don't know where it's going to go. Um, our faith can be imperfect, it can be halting, it can be brave, it can be whatever. 
But what makes it effective is that it's directed to Jesus. And it doesn't matter how much. I think the Bible says that the size of a mustard seed. I've told you before the story of Ann Allen. Ann was a longtime member of Grace, then Christ the King. And uh, she wound up going to the Mayo Clinic because she was having a hard time breathing. They said, you have pulmonary fibrosis. We're so sorry. Go back to Ocala. Nothing we can do. Then she comes to my office and says, when's that healer guy coming again? I told her the next night. That she went. She's healed. She goes to her pulmonologist. And the next day, her lungs are as clear as a bell. And he said, how did this happen? And she said, God healed me last night. Pulmonary fibrosis from Mayo. And, her, and, and not clear as a bell. Okay. Like, like that. That's not why I'm telling you the story. When she came to see me and asked me, when is that healer guy coming again? I said, tomorrow night. She said, great, I'm going. What have I got to lose? She didn't have great faith, but she had enough faith to go the next night and get prayed for in hopes that she might be healed. A little bit, a little bit of faith. But faith the size of a mustard seed is enough. Okay? Charlie has a boot on. Right? And last night we go to a, a concert. They were doing baptisms and all that stuff. And what did the guy say? All right, well, you only get baptized once. That's it. You know, but yeah, and the boot, he said, you didn't have enough faith to have your foot healed. Yeah, it's your fault. Well, see, that's a misunderstanding of faith. It is. Even a little bit. Faith shows persistence in overcoming obstacles. She shoves her way through the crowd. She doesn't care about shame. See, faith in Jesus overcomes intimidating circumstances. There is, there's these three guys. You probably have heard about them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Oregano. I heard an, I heard an, I heard a, an Italian guy do that once. I thought it was funny. So they're, they're erecting the golden statue, you know, the idol, and everybody's got to bow down when you hear the harp and the zither and the flute. Everybody's going down. But then, the, then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, hears that these three guys, they're not going to do it. So he says, you don't do it, you're going in the furnace. So this is their response. In the face of intimidating circumstances, let's just say, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. So no matter how it goes, we're not going to do it. It doesn't matter. If God saves us, that's great. If he doesn't, we're still not going to do it because that would be wrong. We have faith in God either way. Now, somebody on the way out said, Abednego. How did I say it? Abednego. I said Abednego. I think I did. You know, people are always correcting me. Like, you know, you know the, uh, 
you know, um, um, days of Elijah, you know, behold, he comes riding on the clouds, you know, at the trumpet call. So I'm doing the trumpet call, and I'm doing, I'm doing this, right? Harry Price says, Father Don, it's only the right hand, please. It's only the right hand, not the left. Let's get it right. So whenever I do the motions, Harry, I think of you. Thank you so much. <sighs> um, the world today, Barna, George Barna is a, does lots of surveys, does lots of work with religious issues in the country. And today, the latest result of the survey on the percentage of Americans that have a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview means that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, authoritative for us, for people, there, is a, there are absolute standards. There's right and there's wrong. 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. 6%. Okay? We're in a really, really tiny minority. But it doesn't matter. It's still true. All right? But in the face of intimidating circumstances, it may get more difficult to stand up for a biblical worldview. So when I say there's two genders, I'm not being political. I'm just being biblical. If I say marriage is between a man and a woman, I'm not being political. I'm being biblical. You can kind of go on and on and on around these issues that are sort of swirling around in society. So if I continue to say those things, there may be a knock on my door because I might be accused of hate speech. And then I'll be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Fine. Well, do whatever you want. I'm not going to change. This is the biblical worldview that is true for all people, whether they accept it or not. You know? So, faith is embodied in action. Action like digging a hole in the roof of a, of, a, of a house so that you can get your buddy down so Jesus can heal him. Um, belief does not bring healing. Faith in Jesus that leads to action brings healing. Faith in action like breaking ground on this building. We met, the vestry met, and we, did, we didn't have all the money we wanted. We weren't in the financial position we wanted, but we voted, and it was peace, clarity, and unity, and it was unanimous. Any, who, was, who was there that night? If you were on that vestry that night, stand up, made that decision. Jim and Bob, Brenda, Deb, Gigi. Who was in the back? Ah, Susie Q. Okay. But we did it, and here we are, you know. Now, last week, we heard about a curriculum that the school has already purchased without having the funds, and a, people said, can we help out? By the end of the day, um, we had over for that. And then I'm told another $3,000 check showed up this week, and I know, of, I know of another three that's coming. And that's just faith, faith in action. They believe that this is a, a necessary requirement for the school to progress and move forward, and God will provide the funds necessary to make it happen. So they stepped out in faith, trusting God, not leaping off the temple, tempting God. They trusted God, and God is fulfilling that trust. Faith is knowing 
Jesus is able to meet our needs. The woman refused to grin and bear it, and I think she's a, a model for people who might be shy or ashamed or embarrassed. Or I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to ask Jesus for anything. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Whatever rot is in you or in me, he wants us to come to him. So in the future, the woman will face death, but we know that God has conquered death in the resurrection of Christ. That's the ultimate healing. Death comes to everyone. The question is, are you ready? I think of that when I see things like the collapse of the, of the condo down in Miami. It's 1.30 in the morning. All of a sudden, you're dead. They're missing 159 people. I've got news for you. 159 people are dead. It's not like they're in Idaho and just forgot to call. Oh, I'm okay. No, they're dead. They were asleep in their bed, and now they're gone. Were they ready? Were they ready? That's the question. Did they have that kind of faith that saved them? Does the resurrection of Jesus Christ count for them? We all have a hemorrhage of some sort, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological, financial, relational, the list goes on. And perhaps you carry resentment, bitterness, anger, frustration, or an inability to forgive someone for something. We all have something. The faith that the woman displayed is available to all believers. Jesus is still the only answer for our healing. He asks us today to trust him in a new and fresh way, not in a superstitious way, but in a believing, obedient way. Remember the old formula. Faith leads to trust. Trust leads to obedience. Obedience leads to blessing. Faith leads to trust. Trust leads to obedience. And obedience leads to blessing. So do you want a blessing? Trust in God. And whatever you're carrying with you today that's weighing you down, leave it at the altar. Don't leave today the same way you came in. This is what God desires of us. This is why he died for us. This is why we are his children. May God bless us all and may our faith be in him who saves. Amen.